0: So we will be reading from Philippians 1, 1 through 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We are beginning the new year a little bit early here this holiday weekend, and we are beginning a new series through the book of Philippians. As we go through the book of Philippians, we are asking the question of where we can find our identity. As I said, we're continuing this or beginning this series in Philippians where we are talking about our identity. And as you see on the screen, we are actually talking about how to recover our true selves. The reason that we're talking about this is because we feel like, as the the pastors, elders, leaders of Grace Community Church, that it's something that our world and the church at large is struggling with. Trying to answer the question of who we are. What is our true identity and where do we find our identity? We all have this question of who am I? We may not have woke up this morning with that exact phrase on our lips, and as we pursue different things in this life, we may not overtly ask the questions, but in our actions, in our beliefs, in the way we respond to things, we are asking the question of, who are we? Further evidence that we're asking this question is that as we go around looking for identity in the things of this world, We are clearly not finding it. You find yourself in one of two places here this morning, I'm I'm willing to guess. One is that you are continuing to look everywhere to find this sense of who you are and a sense of what your identity is. And whether you're a teenager or you're well past the teenage years and you can't even remember your teenage years, you're still looking for that sense of identity in the things of this world and you're finding that those places, those things, they leave you wanting. You still don't fully know who you are. Or you may find yourself in the boat that you have found your identity. Maybe you're one of these people that knew what they wanted to be when they grew up in junior high or high school. Or maybe you're someone that has poured your entire life into your career, your education, your relationships, your kids, and you feel like you've found that sense of identity. At the end of the day, you still find yourself in need. And you're still asking the question, who am I? Or is this all there is? Maybe that's you this morning. Ultimately, we believe here at Grace that the Bible teaches that we haven't found the answer to who we are and we haven't found our true identity because we are looking in the wrong places. We are ultimately asking the wrong question of the wrong sources and the wrong people, and we are inevitably getting wrong answers. So what is the right question? The right question is, who are we? Who are we? I mean two different things by this. First off, who are we collectively as humans? Who are we not just as an individual question, but what are humans for? What is our purpose? What is our identity in this world? And then who are we collectively as we sit here today? Why are we here? Why are we here in a church? Why are we here talking about Jesus? Why are we learning from God's word over the next 14 weeks? Specifically, as the people and body and church of God, who are we? We believe that the Bible has answers to each of these questions. And over the next 14 weeks, we are going to go through the book of Philippians, and we will look at this one specific book and ultimately to the gospel to answer the question of who are we. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. God, thank you that you've spoken through your word and your spirit and your people. And God, we desire to hear from you today. God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, God, whether we weekly come to this church, whether we're visiting and we go to another church, whether we have not been to church all year, God, we want to hear from you and we pray that you would speak to each one Individually, God, I don't know everyone here this morning, but you do. God, I believe you have a specific word for each one of us. And God, I pray that as we open up your word, not only this morning, but for the next 14 weeks through the book of Philippians, that we would see who we really are. God, whether we consider ourselves a Jesus follower today or not, I pray that over the course of this series that we would see who Jesus is. We would see the answer to who we are. And we would find our identity in who God says we are. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to give a... a Fairly, I almost said brief, but that would be lying. It's not a brief introduction. We're going to take a good chunk of the sermon this morning to do an introduction to this book because it's important the backstory of how this book of Philippians came about. And then we're going to take a look at the first two verses as was read this morning. And we're not only going to get a sense for how the book starts, but we're going to get a sense of what the whole book is about and begin to answer that question of who we are and where can we find our identity. Philippians is written to a church in a a town called Philippi, and it was the biggest city in Macedonia, which you've probably heard of before. Philippians is written to this church, and this church was started by a few people that we're going to meet today, as well as the Apostle Paul. We often think about the Apostle Paul as an apostle, a a disciple of of Jesus, a, a missionary, or a pastor. We don't often think of him as a church planter. And in fact, when we think of the word church planting, we think of something maybe modern or new or a church planting movement that has taken off over the last 20 or 30 years. But church planting is really a 2,000-year-old business because really Paul was a church planter. And not only that, but as Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and make more disciples of all nations and teach them to observe all that he commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, they did exactly that. And they went to the ends of the earth They saw people come to faith, and then churches were born out of homes, out of communities, out of major cities all over the world. So this book is written by Paul, who is a church planter, to this church that he helped found. He has the Apostle Paul. He has all of those titles, but primarily he planted churches. We should never think about missions and church planting as two separate things. Often we do. We think about people who are missionaries who go to other countries to tell people about Jesus. Then we think about church plants, and we have a certain context for that. In fact, here at Grace, that's language that we know because we have planted churches out of this church. Primarily, I am the staff pastor at our downtown congregation in downtown Iowa City. We have planted other churches out of this church. There's a lot of reasons— for planting churches, there's a lot of ways that churches churches are planted in this world. One way that has been very popular is they are planted based on market research. They're planted based on where are there growing communities, where are there lots of people, where are there not enough churches, and let's plant one there because it seems to be growing and people will need a church. That's one way to plant a church. Another way to plant a church is that one church— gets too big, and they need more space. And for whatever reason, they decide that planting a new church or having a satellite church is the way to go about handling that logistic, that pragmatic concern. The downtown church started eight and a half years ago, and the primary reason that it started is because there was a group of people in Iowa City that were meeting in biblical community that were having trouble physically getting here to North Liberty. North Liberty is just a few miles from Iowa City, but there's no bus that goes from Iowa City to North Liberty. So if students or other young professionals did not have a car, North Liberty was on the moon for them. They couldn't get here. So eight and a half years ago, we planted the church in downtown Iowa City. There's a lot of reasons that a church is planted. There's a lot of ways that the church is planted. Before we open up the book of Philippians, I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Philippi and this letter to the Philippians is unique in that we have a whole backstory of how this church got started and it's instructive to us today. It doesn't just tickle some intellectual curiosity, but it will really help us understand the rest of the book of Philippians. If we see how this church was started, there's an entire chapter in the book of Acts that lays out the founding of the church in Philippi. So we're just going to do a brief overview of what happens in Acts chapter 16 look with me at verses 9 and 10 and a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying come over to Macedonia and help us and when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them As I said earlier, when Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth, we see in the book of Acts that that takes place. The disciples and then apostles and people that were followers of Jesus, people that were converted like Paul, they take the gospels to the the ends of the earth. And sometimes they go there for pragmatic reasons to certain places. But here, as we see, Paul sees in a vision, go to Macedonia, preach the gospel. So Paul takes a group of people and they go to Macedonia. They go to Philippi specifically and they preach the gospel and they meet a number of people. But Acts chapter 16 points out three specific people that they meet along the way in verses 11 through 15. We see that they go out of the city and they go down to the riverside. And what they expect to find is what the author of Acts tells us is a place of prayer Now, from history, we know that what they were looking for is that they were looking for a synagogue. They were looking for Jews that were followers of Jesus that would gather together. So in this time, in order to have a synagogue, you had to have ten Jewish men that would faithfully go to one location, even if there wasn't a building. There usually wasn't a building. Ten faithful Jewish men would gather together They would pray together and other believers would come around them and they would have a a prayer service at the riverside and presumably baptize folks in the river. So these folks would gather together and that would be called a place of prayer. So Paul and these other men expect to find the same thing in Philippi because Philippi is the largest, most important city in Macedonia. But what they find when they go to the riverside is a few women gathered at the river. A few women had gathered together and were praying. One of these women, we learn her name, and her name was Lydia. We see here in the story that Lydia was probably very wealthy. She has a household, as we'll find out later. She is also uh, a seller of fine fabrics, and she comes from Asia. And in fact, an A region of Asia that is known for this certain purple fabric that wealthy people like to make things out of. And Lydia, we read in the story, hears the gospel, responds to the gospel, and her and her entire household are baptized. So we see this woman who is wealthy and has influence and has means, hears the gospel, responds to the gospel, and her household comes to faith. Next, as they are walking along, they meet a group of people and they meet a little girl, a slave girl is what we're told. And this girl has a gift. She has a gift of divination. She can hear from the spiritual realm. And as they are walking through this girl, it says repeatedly is saying, believe these men, meaning Paul and the other apostles, believe these men because they are telling you the way of salvation, And it says day after day, she would say the same thing. So she's following around, and through her spiritual gifting that she has, she is actually seeing the truth of the gospel and proclaiming the truth of the gospel before she is even delivered from slavery or this demonic gift that she has. It's a strange story. And then, to get even more strange, we're told that Paul prays and heals her of this demonic presence, but do you see the motivation for it? Look in the text in verses 16 through 18. What does it say Paul was? Annoyed. Paul was annoyed that this woman day after day after day was saying the same thing. He prays, this woman is delivered, this little girl is delivered from this demonic presence. She becomes a follower of Jesus and she's delivered from her life of slavery. So now we have a young, possessed owned by other people, slave girl, delivered from spiritual forces and human forces. She gives her life to Jesus. But there are ramifications from this. The men that owned this slave girl were upset because she had a gift and they were making money off of her gift, off of her fortune telling, off of her spiritual insights. So these men grab Paul and the other apostles, and they throw them in jail for taking away their way of making money. So Paul and the other apostles are in jail, and as they are in jail, they are worshiping God, and an earthquake happens. The jail cell comes open, their chains are broken off, and they are delivered from the jail cell. And as they do, a jailer stops and says, He is ready to take his own life because he is going to be held accountable for these prisoners being set free. And in that moment, Paul reaches out, shares the gospel with him, and then this jailer gives his life to Jesus and begins following Jesus. So here we see in Philippi, this major city in Macedonia, we see three people from three different ethnicities, from three different socioeconomic status, begin to follow Jesus. They are delivered from physical ailments, they are delivered from their social situation, they are delivered from other masters, and they are given a new life as they follow Jesus. So what do we learn from this story? What do we learn about how this church is planted, but also how other churches are planted as well? Number one, God builds his church. Do you see in this story that Paul and the apostles were told to just go, and so they went, and nothing went according to their plan? They went expecting to find 10 Jewish guys and a faithful remnant of people that was already worshiping Jesus. And instead they found all these random people from these different ethnicities, these people that were not Jewish people, these people that did not have influence in their community. And God chose these people to build his church. Paul and the other apostles didn't do market research and say, we should put a church in Philippi because they're going to have a Starbucks soon. God builds his church. God chooses who he will save, God delivers who he will, and God builds the church based on those that are willing to follow him. Number 2, we learn that the church is for the redeemed. We see from the very founding of the church in the first century. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in the ministry of the disciples and the apostles. We see throughout the book of Acts and the whole New Testament. And then in the book of Revelation that the church of God is built on the redeemed. It is not just Jews. It is not just men. It is not just Middle Eastern people. It is not the good people. It is those he redeems. And we see people From all different socioeconomic status, all different ethnicities, all different understandings of who Jesus was beforehand, Jews, Gentiles, people to the ends of the earth, to the point in Revelation where we see the heavenly throne room, the end of all things where there's some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. The church is for the redeemed. We just celebrated Christmas and the angels' message To the shepherds. What did they say to those lowly shepherds? They said, We have good news of great joy that's for all people. We see that the church in Philippi was founded by those that God chose and redeemed. And ultimately, we learn that it is God who does the saving. Let's think through Paul and the other apostles, their ministry strategy, quote unquote, as they went to Philippi. They didn't do market research. They didn't plan this out in advance. Paul saw in a vision that they were supposed to go. They didn't find what they thought they were going to find. Paul was greatly annoyed at this girl, so he delivered her from her demonic presence. Not exactly a great ministry strategy, But God does the saving. In fact, in the story of Lydia, we read, We began to speak, and God opened her heart. It's God who does the saving. We opened our lips, and God does the work. We open our lips, and God opens people's hearts. This is not only how the church in Philippi was started, this is how churches are started. This is what the people of God looks like. It's God building his church. It's people that are redeemed and the thing they have in common is their redemption. And it's God who does the saving of the people in the church and those who will be in the church. So now that we know the backstory, we can take a look at the first two verses of Philippians chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? Philippians chapter 1. This sets up what the church in Philippi looks like, and then the first two verses lay a foundation for us that we will continue to build off of as we look at the themes in the book of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are talking about, in this book, recovering our identity. So what do we learn about recovering our identity from these first two verses? Number one, Paul and Timothy consider themselves servants of Christ Jesus. This language is used by Paul over and over and over again. We are servants. We are slaves. We are bond servants. We are slaves for Christ. Catch it as we read Philippians. Catch it as you read the New Testament. Paul considers himself a servant, and he encourages the church to be a servant. We are going to see in Philippians chapter 2 that actually Jesus went first in serving his church. And now we are called to be servants of Christ Jesus. Where do you get your identity from as a Christian? In fact, why do you say you're a Christian to begin with? Is it because of where you go to church? Is it because of a creed you assent to? Is it because of something that you believe cognitively? Is it because your folks are Christians? Is it because you don't want to be something else, you would rather be a Christian? Or do you consider yourself a servant of Christ? Far too often I have seen in my own life that I am willing to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me anything. But we are servants of Christ. Christ. Paul and Timothy considered themselves servants and they want to tell the church in Philippi and they want to tell the church in North Liberty and they want to tell the church in downtown Iowa city that you are first and foremost servants of Christ. We're going to unpack that in multiple messages throughout the book of Philippians. Number two, what do we learn? The church is made up of saints to all the saints In Christ Jesus that word saint what comes to your mind when you think of the word saint you might think of a certain football team in New Orleans if you're an NFL fan you may think of the Catholic Church you may think of someone who has performed a miracle in the past so they are given sainthood now You may think of it as just a good person. We say that someone is a saint if we think they've done no wrong, if we think they always walk the straight and narrow, if they don't get in trouble. Well, they're, they're a saint. Or we use it as a pejorative or a sarcastic. But the Bible, and Paul in particular, has a different way of using this word saint. To all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, Paul calls those who are in Christ Jesus saints. Here in Philippians, we read a book that has no accusation against the church. It's actually unique in the New Testament. It's the only New Testament epistle with no accusation against the church and no theological correction in it. It's very encouraging. In Corinthians, we get something very different where Paul sees a church that's a mess, where Paul sees a church that should be on Jerry Springer, not in the Bible. But you know what Paul calls that church? Saints. He is using this word saint not based on their performance, but based on their position. Their position is in Christ. Brothers, sisters, friends, if we read this book and see it as a checklist or a New Year's resolution, We are off on the wrong foot already. We can be called a saint. We can be seen as holy. We can be called good by a holy God because we are in Christ. This is where we find our identity. We can't find our identity in our goodness. We can't find our identity in our own purity and our sainthood in our moral perfection in us doing, checking all the boxes on us, accomplishing our Bible reading plan again this year, we can only find our identity in Christ. Jesus even says that if your righteousness surpasses even that of the Pharisees, you have nothing to brag about because then you're just going to judge other people. Even our acts of repentance are stained by our own sin, our own selfishness, our own ego. The church is made up of saints because they are called saints, because they are in Christ. Third, what do we see in these first two verses? Those that have received grace can have peace. It's a huge theme of this book, the idea of peace. Where can we find peace? Where can we find peace in a troubled time? Where can we find peace when the world has lost their sense of peace? Where can we find peace when the circumstances are not good? How can a weary world rejoice? We are a weary world right now. For the first time in my lifetime, the entire world is weary. Due to a pandemic and all the collateral damage that has come from it, we are weary. How can we rejoice? How can we have peace? As I said earlier, some of us know that we are on an endless search to find our identity. Others of us think we have found it, but at the end of the day, we know it's a house of cards. We know it's built on a foundation of sand. We're weary from the rat race. We keep grabbing on for peace and think that one more dollar or one more vacation or one more day off or one more relationship will give us peace and it doesn't. It doesn't. Those that have received grace can have peace. And this is not just some big idea theme or an abstract concept that Paul is writing about. Philippians, like so many books in the New Testament, are written from a place of suffering, are written from a place of margins, are written from a place of being in jail the more Paul presses into the fact that he is in Christ and the more he shares the good news of the gospel, the more he suffers. And he also talks more and more about peace. Paul has experienced the peace that only comes from being in Christ. And now he wants to share that with the church in Philippi and he wants to share it with us and he wants us to experience it on a daily basis. Number four, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Look in these two short verses. We are servants of Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. He wants us to experience grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He is the one that the church is built on. Our lives, if we consider ourselves to be a Jesus follower, our lives and our church's success rests on how much we stand upon Jesus and what he has done. No pandemic, no spiritual forces, no political decisions that are made can impact or shake the church's peace if we are standing on Jesus. Jesus. When we lose our peace as an individual, or when we lose our peace as a collective people, we know we are not standing on Jesus. Because if Jesus is the cornerstone, we have a firm foundation. If at any moment we feel like our foundations are shifting and we don't have peace, we can know we have moved off of Jesus as the cornerstone and we have built our own foundation for ourselves. And it's sinking. Sand. Jesus Himself tells us that. Ephesians two, nineteen through twenty-two says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what the church of God looks like. Those who are in Christ, standing on the cornerstone of who Christ is, doing what he says to do, and going and making disciples. And what does it say here? That kind of church is a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. We just went through our Advent series, Encountering the Holy Spirit, where we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, how to be led by the Spirit. When we stand on the cornerstone of Jesus and we do what he says and we go and make disciples of all nations, the Spirit fills the church. That's what we need in the new year and that's what we need in our lives. So based on the backstory of the church in Philippi and based on these first Two verses. How can we answer the question of who we are? We're going to see as we go through this series that we are partners in the gospel. We are going to see that we are those willing to give our very lives for Christ and his kingdom. We are going to see how we can have the mind of Christ and we can treat others accordingly as we serve. We are going to see that we are those who God is willing bringing about the will and the work in our lives. We are going to see how we can count everything as loss, rubbish compared to knowing Christ. We are going to see that we are citizens of heaven awaiting our Savior. We can see that we are men and women laboring side by side for the sake of the gospel. We can see that in an age of anxiety, we can experience peace, We are going to see that we can practice and think on heavenly things, and we can be content no matter the situation. This is where we find our identity. When we are in Christ and we stand on Jesus as our firm cornerstone, we can experience this kind of life. And over the next 14 weeks, we're going to take a look at what life in Christ as his church looks like. Philippians, like so many books, ends with a benediction. A benediction is a good word spoken. And Paul can end each book of the Bible. And we can end each service with a good word. Because though we may be weary, and though we may still live in this body of flesh, we can experience peace. We can experience a true identity in who God says we are, and we can leave each time reading the word, we can leave each service, we can lay our heads down on our pillow at night, and we can find our peace in him. This is what the church of God looks like. Often our idea of what the church is and what it is for comes from the wrong places. The church is not a club based on personal preferences. The church is not a group of people that all agree on everything. That's a special interest group or a lobbying group. That's not the church of God. But the church of God is a temple for the living God. It's a group of people, just like the church in Philippi, that comes from multiple ethnicities, speaks multiple languages, different socioeconomic status, but they've found hope and identity in who Jesus is, and they come together, built on Jesus, and the Spirit fills it. We are planted by the Lord for the display of his splendor and glory. Who are we? We are blood-bought sinners who exist to bring him glory by sharing the good news of who he is and what he has done on this side of heaven. So who is the church? We're going to keep going back to these three themes. The church of God, our partners for the sake of the gospel, sufferers for the sake of the gospel, and those that find their identity in Christ alone. I want to take a few moments here to give you some tips on how to get the most out of this series as we go through it. The first thing that I would like to ask is, are you in Christ? Yes. Thank you. Amen. Fantastic. That may not be the same for all of us. Over the next four weeks, Or 14 weeks over the next 14 weeks we're going to be talking about what a life in christ looks like but if you are not in christ it's going to be a bummer of a 14 weeks because if we are not in christ there is no peace there is no identity your identity is a moving target and you're not going to find it in the things of this world And everything that's promised in this book to those that are in Christ is only promised to those that are in Christ because every other foundation we can build our life and identity on is sinking sand. So I ask, are you in Christ? Those who are in Christ are not the good people. Remember why they're called saints? Because they're in Christ, not because of their sainthood and their goodness. And we are, All may find ourselves in different places here today. Maybe this is your third time in church over the last three days. Maybe you're a superstar Christian that went to Christmas Eve here, and then you went to Christmas Eve with mom, and now you're here today. Or maybe you have not walked inside of a church in 2021. All of us can leave here a saint because we are in Christ. And the way to be in Christ is by setting aside yourself. Not only that, but he offers you the gift of life by taking on your sin and all the baggage that you bring to the table and all the ways that you have built your life on other things. He takes all of those things. And when he died on a cross, he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. That's what it means to be in Christ. Colossians tells us also written by Paul that we are hidden with we're hidden in God with Christ that when God looks at us he can see the righteous perfection of his son that's why he's the cornerstone he's the saint Jesus is the one that did all of these things Jesus is the one that always served Jesus is the one that always had peace Jesus is the one that always did the will of the father And though he was perfect, he was put to death on a cross and he died in our place. We can take his righteousness and we can live a holy life and we can be redeemed and forgiven because of what he has done. Are you in Christ? If not, today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you start a new life. What a great way to start the new year, being redeemed by your Savior. And as we go through this series, the promises that are given in this series, you can experience if you are in Christ. A few other things here. We want to encourage you to grab a journal. There are $1.50 at Walgreens. Um, if you can't get a hold of one, let us know. We'll get you one. We encourage you to grab a journal. And as you read Philippians, as you talk about Philippians in community, as you hear sermons here, Take down the notes. Write down what God is teaching you as we look at this book and what God is doing in our lives. We want to encourage you to write out the book of Philippians. To start writing it out. It may seem like a big task, but it's a good thing we didn't pick Romans or Psalms. You're lucky there. But we want to encourage you to just get started. Write out the verses that we just talked about this morning. It's two verses. You can do it over lunch. You can even do it during the sermon. I won't tell anyone. When I'm not preaching, of course, if someone else is preaching, go ahead and write it out as we're preaching here. We'd encourage you to write out the whole book. There's something that happens when we are writing it out that helps us remember it more. Write out the book of Philippians. Talk about it in your community groups. Sit down and read the book of Philippians in one sitting. Preparing for this series, I sat down and did that many times, and God just continued to show me new things because the chapter... Headings and the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, those are not divinely inspired. They were added later. These are letters. They read like a letter from beginning to end. It takes you 14 minutes to read through the book of Philippians. 14 minutes. A lot of us are busy, got a lot of things going on. What have we spent 14 minutes on this year? The next year we can spend it reading through the entire book of Philippians. Read along with us. Read it for yourself. Read the next section that we're going to go through. Talk about it in your community groups. We really want to dive deep into this book to see where we can find our true identity. If we are just coming here and we're hearing the sermon, and that's the only time we're taking in Philippians, it's like that big holiday meal where you sit down. And you stuff yourself with all the stuff. You go back for seconds and thirds. Then you find the dessert tray and you go back to that for seconds and thirds. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm stuffed. But you find yourself eating the next day, don't you? We can't just come and stuff ourselves with Philippians on one day for 40 minutes. And then head back into a world that's offering us all kinds of other false identities. Let's bury ourselves in God's word and who he says we are. Would you stand with me? I want to close by praying for you, by praying for us, and by sending you out with a good word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. God, we want to be people of the word. We want to be people that find their identity in you because the world is offering us all kinds of other identities. God, would you redeem some here today? For any who are not in Christ, God, I pray that you would show them their need for you. God, I... I pray that you would show them the other things their life is built on are sinking sand. God, for your church, for your people, I pray that you would continue to just pull the rug out from under all those other identities that we have found. and Just show us how great Christ is. Show us that he is the cornerstone of the church. And God, we want to be your people. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to find our identity increasingly in you. God, we pray that as we open this book, as we study this book, as we talk about this book, that you would do a great work in your church. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in grace and we'll see you next week.